Good afternoon. I'm Nelson King, and this is A Podcast Runs Through It. My co-host here on the right is Dixie Hart. Hi, Dixie. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> her voice tells you what kind of afternoon it is. Uh, we're, we're, we're here on the cusp of history to a certain extent in Soundcolor Studios in downtown Livingston. And yet we're in, uh, I guess you could say, a period of history. Because today uh, we may hear the results of the Iowa caucuses. And tomorrow we will have a vote on impeachment trial, conviction or acquittal. Uh, We're today going to be interviewing the lieutenant governor of the state of Montana. And uh, who is going to, Mike Cooney, who is going to be running for governor. On a day when we learned that one of the other candidates for governor... Casey Schreiner has removed himself from the, the Casey race. Schreiner has withdrawn from the race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot happening, of course, and that's not unusual for this uh, period, but today's kind of an unusual day, uh, an unusual feeling, I think, across the country. Um, I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, or anything else. That uh, I think we're all aware that we're in a strange period of history, maybe put it that way. Anyway, today we're here to interview the sitting current lieutenant governor about why he wants to be governor of the state of Montana, and uh, it should be interesting. Well, we are continuing our series of interviews with people who are running for statewide office and other offices as well, but in this case we have the current lieutenant governor of the state of Montana, Mike Cooney, and he is running for governor. Gee, surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mike, really good to have you here. Uh, We usually have some kind of startup questions, but I think people generally want to know a little bit of your background and why or how did you get into politics in the first place? Sure. Um, Well, uh, first of all, thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here in Livingston and very happy to be appearing on your, your podcast, and thank you for having me. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I'm a Montanan. I grew up in Butte, a little community just down the road here. Uh, uh, and I have to say, growing up in Butte was, uh, I always tell people, it really did help make me the person I am today. Uh, when I was uh, growing up in Butte, you know, Butte was a very diverse community. People, I used to go into, when I, as a kid, go into people's homes, and I used to... Uh, you know, sit there and I'd visit with grandma and grandpa and grandma and grandpa didn't speak English because they were from the old country. And uh, that just had an effect on my, my, my life and who I was. And Butte was a great community to grow up in and, and I, I cherish that. Um, was a pub, you know, went to public school there, uh, graduated uh, from Butte High, went off to the University of Montana, got a degree in political science uh, after I thought at first I was maybe going to go into journalism, but then took a turn into to the political science field. Had you already made the turn into politics at that point? <laughs> I, I that was about the time I started making the turn into politics, and and I will tell you, I had the opportunity to be an intern at the legislature one time as part of my uh, college curriculum, and I'd never really had much to do with the legislature, so I went over there, spent a time as an intern, got to work around it, see how it worked, and it just. It just made my curiosity and my excitement blossom about possibly one day I'd love to have the opportunity to do that. Um, I did not realize that 
it would be the next election when a seat opened up in my hometown of Butte. And I got a call from some people and they encouraged me to run. And so I went and ran, ended up in a pretty tough primary, but I survived it. <clears throat> I didn't have a Republican running against me. So once I got through the primary, I was fine. Uh, but I did get elected mm -hmm. and uh, I was pretty young, uh, I was 19, 20 years old around that time frame. Um, and uh, uh, so it came quickly. It really did come quite quickly. Uh, but I think it's very important uh, that, you, that our process allows for all people of all ages to be engaged. I think we're a citizen legislature, and it's good to have a representation of the citizenry involved in the legislative mm -hmm. process. So uh, I took that role very, very seriously and uh, ended up serving two terms in the State House. Uh, and then I finally found myself in a position where I had enough credits to graduate, and uh, my, my girlfriend decided that uh, she would marry me so I was graduating, getting married, and I needed a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So uh, my friend, uh, who I'd done a little work for when he ran for Congress the first time, Max Bacchus. This, is a, this was the Bacchus era. This yeah. is the Bacchus era. Mm -hmm. He was then just in the Senate, uh, offered me a job, and I ended up taking the job. But as part of that, he asked me not to run again for the legislature, which I was happy to get a full-time job to replace a part-time job that didn't mm -hmm. pay particularly well. Uh, but Max gave me this job, and I was in Butte for a while, uh, and I was married at the time. Uh, it, that was right when we were first married. Uh, we just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary this wow. past December. But um, uh, And then he uh, offered to take me to Washington, D.C. Uh, after a couple years in Butte, and I moved to Washington, D.C. with my wife, and uh, we lived there for about four years, worked on Capitol Hill. Um, great experience. You know, it's, it's really neat to see mm -hmm. how, you know, coming from Butte. And my wife had grown up in Phillipsburg and Butte. And so it was a great cultural change for us <laughs> to move to Washington, D.C. And yeah. it was wonderful. Great experience. We grew a lot. And then we, uh, uh, after about four years, decided, well, after four years and a baby who decided to join us at the time, uh, we decided to come back. We wanted to get back to Montana. And Max moved me back to Helena, which he had an opening. That's how I ended up in Helena. Worked there for a couple more years uh, for him. And then uh, an opportunity came up that um, allowed me to seek the office of Secretary of State, which is a statewide office. And it was a big jump. It was a big leap. Mm -hmm. But uh, I did it, ran for it. Uh, I was successful. And I, I got elected in 1988 and started serving in 1989 and served in that office until 2000. So my first term was before term limits. Term limits came in in 1992, they were approved, and so then I had two more terms after they were approved. So I was, I was actually there for 12 years as Secretary of State. Thoroughly loved that job. You know, being involved in the election process, working on ways of making it easier to do business in Montana, uh, being on the land board, that was that was very exciting to to yeah. be a part of that. We just parenthetically wanted to say that we're, one of our missions here is to get people aware of these statewide offices. Some of which we I think most voters don't even know they exist. I think so, and really have a vague idea of what they do. 
and they're a very important land. And you mentioned the land board because most of these offices are on the land board. All the statewide offices yeah. sit on the land board. Um, I mean, as far as governor, attorney general, secretary of state, state auditor, <laughs> and superintendent of public instruction, those are the five positions that make up the land board that manage our wonderful state right. lands and right. our school trusts. So, yeah, it's, it is a very important uh, position in so many ways. Um, anyway, after I, uh, uh, in 2000, I ended up leaving office, uh, went to work for a group called Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies, which is a statewide uh, nonprofit. To, and at that time, we were working very hard to make sure Montana families and children were educated about the CHIP program the Children's Health Insurance Program. Um, that money had just kind of come out. People weren't quite sure how it worked, and we had people on the ground uh, helping educate people and families about how to get their families enrolled in that program so that we could get young kids uh, the health care that they need and get them their immunizations and all of those things that, you know, were going with, people mm -hmm. were doing without because they just didn't have the ability to pay the price. But CHIP really did help. And they didn't know how to get into it. And, they yeah. didn't. And so we had people out there helping people sign up for it. And so I did that for about six years at Healthy Mothers. And then um, and during the time I was at Healthy Mothers, I got uh, sweet-talked into running for the state senate in Helena. I didn't know that I would ever go back to the legislature, but uh, had the opportunity. So I ended up running for the state or the state senate. My district in Helena encompassed the state capital. So that just gives you an idea of kind of the general area of what that district was. And I ran and I got elected and I ended up serving two terms until I was term limited out. One of the sessions I served as president of the Senate, my colleagues in the Democratic caucus, we are still in the majority and they elected me to be president of the Senate. And uh, after the Senate, um, I ended up working in the Department of Labor and Industry in Montana, and I, I, you know, I had really not worked within state government itself. I'd been a state representative, I'd been a secretary of state, and but now I was a state employee working for the people of Montana in that capacity. And I tell you, it was people. Some people would say, "How can you be in the legislature? How can you be secretary of state and then come and be a state employee?" I mean, isn't that kind of a letdown? It wasn't. It was great because I was involved in a number of things. The first thing I was involved in was the whole licensure. I was the head of the business standards division, and we do all the licensing for the state of Montana, with the exception of teachers and lawyers, basically. But if you're licensed to do business in Montana, a doctor, a mortician, a, a, a cosmetologist, you are licensed through the Business Standards Division. So I was in charge of all of that. After a couple years of doing that, they then asked me to move over to the Workforce Services. So I ended up with the Job Services offices in my under me. I had all the workforce training programs, apprenticeship, all of that, uh, which really was very, It's I mean, that is such a big part of growing our economy. Uh, and it was very exciting to learn and to be a part of that. And I did that. Um, and then while I was doing that, they, the commissioner, Pam Busey at the time, asked me to be the deputy commissioner of labor as well. So I wore two hats for a while, and then I finally eased into just the deputy commissioner's position, which is what it is. It's the second in command at the Department of Labor. And it was, it was great. Uh, I got to work with unemployment insurance. I got to work with all of the divisions, all the, all the parts of the Department of Labor, and uh, found it to be great people, hardworking folks, doing good things. Um, and then the governor called me one day and said, would you come over and be my lieutenant governor? Which was out of the blue, kind of surprised me. 
And after some tough negotiations, we cut a deal, which really, that's, that's overstating it. I mean, I was flattered he would ask me, yeah. but uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to get back into elected politics again. And I knew if I took the job, in one year, we we're going to be going through another election. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, it just, it was so important to me that, first of all, that Governor Bullock got reelected, that I felt that if I could help in my own small way, that I would be delighted to do that. And uh, joined the ticket, and uh, I've been lieutenant governor since, <clears throat> and now here I am, uh, running for governor. And so that's the Mike Cooney story. That's kind of an interesting <laughs> thread, and in, in, you're not alone in this. But um, I'm thinking, for example, Governor Bullock said he didn't want to be a senator. Mm-hmm. This at the national level because mm-hmm. he's really not into legislating per se. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, you know, I'm an executive. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to do. Uh, but you seem to have gone between different <laughs> yeah. parts of this, all yeah. parts of it. Yeah. Um, is that because you're attracted not to the position but to the things you work on? You know, and I think I would hope that's the case. I mean, honestly, I've never really hung my hat on on the whole concept that I've got to hold this position or that position. Um, and I don't want this to sound insincere, but it truly, I have always looked, when I've been elected to any position, I always think, okay, just like right now, I'm lieutenant governor. I have a million bosses. That's how I look at it. And I am so fortunate to have this job and to be able to work for the great people of Montana. And I've always felt that way about being in the legislature. And I've also, and when I was in state government, working at the Department of Labor, I was driven by the mission and the things that we could do to help people in the state of Montana. And that's what's always attracted me about public service. And I think I learned that again, I'll go back, when I was growing up in Butte and and just the things that were given to me, um, my public education, um, you know, uh, just having the experiences that we had living in Montana and the great outdoors that we have and the, being able to have the cleanest air, the cleanest water anywhere and be able to have it at our fingertips right outside our back door. I just, that, that's what's important to me and that's why public service is so important. Um, <clears throat> I have three children. They're all adults. They have all landed here in Montana in fact, two boys have really, I mean, they've traveled all around the world, but they've really never left Montana. My daughter did leave for a while and lived in California and then on the East Coast. And then she just called me up one day and said, Dad, I'm tired of the city. Coming I need to back. get back. I got to get back. And mm-hmm. at one time, I never thought we'd get her back in Montana. Mm-hmm. Man, they're back here. They're loving it. They bought a house and she's going to give us our first grandbaby in July. So <laughs> we're so excited about mm-hmm. that. But I mean, we have those three kids. And I want them to be able to be given a better Montana and enjoy it, you know, better than what I was given. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they will take good care of it and pass it on to the next generation in even better shape. And that, that, those are the sorts of things that drive me to want to be a part of all of this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and part of it is just, I mean, my family has been here for a long time in Montana. We have roots here. I'm not going to go into all of that, but I, because, I mean, we're lucky we have those kind of people that, who stay here. We're also lucky that we have people who choose to come to Montana. Well, your I name is a, fairly familiar, as I know that your great-grandfather or grandfather <clears throat> was governor. My grandfather was um, governor in the 30s. You're the first one to bring that up in this campaign, I think. <laughs> it's ancient history. Uh-huh. But the name is known. I mean, it, people have heard the Cooney name before, uh, which is one reason why I want to pursue, you know, the, 
what drives you, what gets you into politics. Mm-hmm. I get a sense that as a lot of Montana Democrats are, they are Democrats and they run on the Democratic ticket, mm-hmm. but your deeper interest is not party ideology or it's, it, it is a belief in government. Sure. And a belief that you can do things. Right. You can make government work for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that at core, it's it's you are attracted to issues and ideas that help people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's true. And, you know, <clears throat> people ask me all the time, you know, they'll say, what's the difference between Republicans and Democrats? And I could give a probably a fairly cynical response to that if I wanted to. But truly, I've worked with a lot of Republicans in my career, and they're good people. They want good things for Montana, just as I want good things for Montana. But we may have different approaches on how to get there. And that's really kind of where the difference is. I mean, there and, and some of those differences may be quite large. Some of them may not. Some of the differences may be very close, you know, very small. But, um, you know, in Montana, I think partisan politics is not as important to the average person as it may be in other states where you register by party and all of that. I think that um, uh, in Montana, people really look at the individual. You know, what's the connection? What does that person mean to me? What has that person contributed? You know, if it's a local thing, what are they engaged in in their community and what have they done? Um, you know, do I know them? Do I have a, a, a certain level of comfort with them? You know, do they go to my church? Do they, are they a member of my social club or whatever it is? Those are the things I think are important to Montanans. More so, are they a Republican or are they a Democrat? I mean, you end up with those people who that is important. Mm-hmm. But I say the average Montanan is really looking at the individual and what they have done, what they've contributed, and what is their connection to Montana mm-hmm. yeah, that is that important. kind of leads to a, a lot of well, people outside of the state particularly, but even people inside the state wonder, in an era when, let's say, the Republicans have dominated the state legislature, mm-hmm. mostly, and we have obviously very conservative president and, mm-hmm. and Congress most of the time. And this is so-called a red state. Mm-hmm. How is it that you have Democratic leaders, mm-hmm. Democratic governor, Democratic senator? Mm-hmm. Um, how, what's it? You know, what's the secret sauce for uh, a governor Bullock and a, and a senator Tester? And I think maybe the question to you is, how do you see you're fitting in that? Sure. Well, again, first of all, I think people in Montana typically vote for the person. They don't vote party for the, the average Montanan. So I think that's one thing. I think, secondly, Montanans want balance in their government. And so they might, when they vote, they might say, okay, I might vote for this Republican uh, who I know because they go to my church and we're in the same Cub Scout group or whatever. I mean, it's very personal, in my opinion, on the local level. But since that and voting for that person, I think I might vote for this person over here for governor because we might end up with all Republicans, you know, more of a majority. And, you know, I, I, and I agree with a lot of things they, they want, but I also think it's good to have balance. And I think the other, so I think there's some of that that goes into it. And I think the other thing is people like Governor Bullock, Senator Tester, myself, we all, we all have a record of basically people can look at us and say, we're, we're not opposed to sitting down and trying to find solutions with whoever. 
And we can see where there's been great success, where we have been able to bring people together of very different views and come up with some very good public policy. And I will basically say what, how we accomplished Medicaid expansion in the last legislative session. That was bipartisan. Now, it was almost all the Democrats, I think every Democrat in the legislature voted to support it. But we needed some Republicans, and we were able to find enough uh, really you know, good Republicans who, were, who understood how important this was for the health care of 100,000 people in Montana, how important it was for our rural hospitals to stay afloat and to keep continue this network of good you know, critical care we have so people in Montana could have access to it. Um, and they came together and said, we're here to do good policy. doesn't matter. We're, we're going to put the politics aside. It's what's good for the people of Montana. That was one example. The other example I'll, I'll, I can give you is on infrastructure. We haven't been able to pass an infrastructure bill in Montana for, I think, 10 years or maybe 12. I can't remember. And that's so important that you know, we have money going out to, to support our roads and bridges and, and, and some public buildings on our campuses. And you know, we have, you know, the museum in Helena, we've been fighting like crazy for that. And we weren't able to pass that until this last legislative session. And we were able to do that by bringing Republicans and Democrats together. So unlike what's happening on the national level, where it just seems nobody's willing to work with anybody in Montana with the right leadership and the right approach, you can bring people around the table. You can have discussions. You have to be willing to compromise and you can accomplish good things. And we've demonstrated that's possible. That's how Governor Bullock's done it. That's how I've always done it. And that's how I will continue to do it when I'm elected governor. Yeah, I think, I wish more people understood that the last legislature, even though it was a so-called conservative legislature, yeah. which we it got was by numbers, done. you know. Yeah, we got um, some good things done. A lot of things were done. Yeah. And I've, we've had an opportunity here to interview people who were, played a part in that. Some mm -hmm. of them are running for office, in mm -hmm. fact. We've noticed the quality of the Democratic candidates this, this cycle is really high. Yeah. And some of them, quite a few of them are graduates, if you want to put it that way, of the class of the last legislature. You bet. Absolutely. And Absolutely. they seem to have that practicality as a root mm -hmm. of what they want to do politically. Yeah. Uh, you don't get anything done if you walk into the legislature or you walk in any, into any office in, in government with the attitude that it's my way or the highway. I think we've seen people try to do that, and that is not successful. You get nothing done. And I think people do expect government. You know, people say government needs to run like a business. and other. They expect things from government. You know, and, and people will have differences of opinions as to what those things are and how far they want it to go. But those are, those are policy decisions that can be hammered out. Uh, what you don't want is just people putting their feet into the ground and saying, you're not going to budge me. If I don't get what I want, then that's it. I'm not going any further. That, that produces nothing. And as a result, I just think, uh, first of all, you're not, you're not getting anything done. Policy's not being created. And issues are not being dealt with. And people do expect government to deal with issues. Speaking of issues, we <laughs> <laughs> can transition segue. to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I notice over your career, I think you've handled every conceivable type of issue, <laughs> running from environmental issues to right now you're 
you have quite a, a segment on your website dedicated to global warming or mm-hmm. you know climate change, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. You know, mm-hmm. women's issues, uh, human rights issues, you know, on and yeah. on and on. Uh, of all the things you've dealt with, or let's say currently, what are your prominent issues? What sure. in the campaign? Um, you know, really, I've I've listened very carefully as I've traveled as both a candidate and as a public official around the state. I've listened very carefully to what people are saying. Uh, and I think that's very important that public officials try to listen. Um, we like to talk, but if we listen occasionally, we, we learn some things. And uh, what I'm hearing is that you know people are concerned about health care in Montana, access to affordable health care. They're concerned about prescription drug prices. Uh, they're concerned about, as our population is growing older, and some of the issues such as Alzheimer's and other dementia illnesses are occurring, you know, what are we going to do about that? Um, I will just uh, digress here somewhat and just say I, my family has already gone through an Alzheimer's issue. My mother-in-law recently, you know, a few years ago died of Alzheimer's. And, uh, you know, fortunately for my wife's family, they had a plan in place. And it was just sure luck that they, they had this, where they ended up uh, uh, being able to take care of all of the expenses, and she was in very good care until the day she died. But very few people expect that to happen, or are they prepared for it? So, I mean, that's going to be a big issue because we know that population is going to continue to grow, and it's going to become a bigger burden on families, and, and frankly, we can't ignore that. So we're gonna, that's going to be one of the big issues. Prescription drugs, mm-hmm. I've already come out with a plan because of the, the, the president has directed the FDA and, and his Department of Health to start working on rules that would allow states to uh, put together pilot programs to allow their citizens to import safely and legally drugs from Canada. And uh, I have a friend who's a, a diabetic. Uh, a little tiny bottle of insulin can cost almost up to $300. She was up in Canada not long ago, stopped into a pharmacy, bought a box of insulin, the little bottles, $28 a pop. So it's not the end of the answer of, of the medical, uh, of the healthcare situation, but it, it is one step that would allow Montanans to take advantage some, of something to, in order to keep a little bit more, a few dollars in their pocket and not have to be, you know, trying to figure out if they're going to take their medication that day if they could afford to do it or not. So uh, healthcare is big. Healthcare is very big. Uh, public education. You know, again, my wife, my, my kids, myself, we're all products of, of the Montana public education program, and I think that uh, uh, we, have, we have a commitment to our kids to give them every opportunity to get out, get an education, and to be able to compete anywhere in this world. And if we don't do that, we're cheating them. And so public education is on the minds of people, and they're concerned about people who want to take money away from public education and put it into other areas. Um, you know, we have a candidate running for, for governor in Montana right now who is saying public education is a monopoly. You know, exactly. And, yes, and, 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 I, you know, and I just disagree with that. You know, we do not need to be tearing that system now, down. We need to be building that system up because that is what we owe our kids. And it's good for our economy mm-hmm. when we are absolutely preparing our kids to go out and take the jobs, whether it's here in Montana or someplace else. 
That is good for our economy. And right now, a lot of employers are saying, we're having a hard time finding good employees. Well, we need to figure that out. And we can do it with our current education system. We can do it with our apprenticeship program. We can do it with our two-year colleges. We can do it with our four-year colleges, making sure that we're keeping our, our tuitions at a, at a reasonable rate where we're not you know, indebting our young people for the rest of their lives. And we've been able to do that in Montana by freezing tuition. And, and keeping college, we're, we're one of the states in the nation where we have kept our college tuition probably one of the most affordable anywhere in the country. It's still expensive, but we're, we're, we're not seeing the growth in, in the cost as we've seen, it, we've seen in other states. And we need to continue to build on that, not tear it apart. You seem to have a comprehensive view of the education. Is that one of the areas that really, um, we all think it's important. Mm -hmm. And I always think that, you know, people running for higher office, governor, whatever, mm -hmm. um, you can't cover every issue, you know. You obviously are interested in a lot of sure. them, but this, is, this seems like one where you really have thought about it a great deal. Oh, I, I have, and I think part of it comes from my time at the Department of Labor and Industry and working on the workforce side of things and just listening to employers talk about the challenges that they have finding good employer employees. I mean, we have some very talented people in this state, and we have people who have been working hard, and with a little bit of extra work, you know, we can take them to the next level and prepare them for some of the jobs that maybe they didn't even think that they would be qualified to do. So I just think, you know, as the economy changes, and, and it is, the world economy is changing, we've got to change with it too, and with that, jobs and experiences have got to, you know, we've got to be focused on uh, what opportunities we're giving our people, and our education structure has to keep up with that. And so, and it's not just K-12, it's, I mean, you know, the other thing, I, I haven't mentioned this, but we need... We need to be in a state that offers a, a, a good public quality pre-K program in the state. We're one of the few states in the nation that doesn't do that. And we, right. if you look at the science behind that, it works. Right. Yeah, we've had a few. Uh, um, well, our local representative, Lori, Lori Bishop, Bishop is a sure. champion of that. Yeah. And no. Melissa Romano. Absolutely. You know, has, Really push that issue it, too. It, it, it just we know the science. When you look at the other states who have adopted this, I mean, the kids get out of pre-K, they get into kindergarten. They're so much better prepared. These are kids they can track, and they're more likely to finish high school. They're more likely to stay out of a law. You know the mm -hmm. you know getting in trouble with law enforcement. I mean, it just the science is there. We're right. one of a handful of states that doesn't offer that. We need to work on that. We need to change that. So it's everything from pre-K through K-12, and then it's got to, we've got to look at the opportunities. Not everybody needs or wants a four-year college education, so our two-year colleges are key in providing uh, options for them. Our apprenticeship programs, um, and when we talk apprenticeship, I want to clarify something, because perhaps your listeners don't think of it. Apprenticeship is more than wires, pipes, and, and carpentry. It's IT, it's finance, it's pharmaceutical. There are over a thousand apprenticeable positions already recognized in the United States today. It's, it covers the gambit. We need to make sure that Montana kids and Montana people understand what's out there and what options there are. Because when you go into an apprenticeship program, you're getting paid to learn. And you get out of a program, you are going into a good job, and you don't have any debt. And so I think... 
There are incredible opportunities. There's certification programs out there, certificate programs out there, where you might need a little bit of training in this or that. It may take 90 days, but you go through the program, you get it in 90 days, you get your certificate, and that is a piece of paper that will help you get hired at jobs that you will like. So there are, it's not just the traditional schooling that we used to think about. There are now numerous options out there to help us prepare the workforce and to give Montana people incredible opportunities and so yeah i guess i am somewhat focused yeah. on that sorry <laughs> no well it, it's important because I, I think you have to have things that you're really committed to mm-hmm. that you know a lot about and nobody expects you to be that way with everything right you know um oh on the other issues uh let's let's take the maybe a, the i don't know what you call it but the environment mm-hmm. climate um mm-hmm. land use they're kind of all wow. related yeah yeah well i mean again let me quickly, and I, and I don't say this, that we, it, we need to talk about it quickly, but uh, public lands is always a big issue for Montanans. I mean, again, it is who, at, at the core, who we are as Montanans. People choose to stay in Montana and live in Montana because of what we have um, with, with our outdoor heritage. You know, great hunting, great fishing, great views, great uh, water, clean air. And just wildlife. I mean, we take it for granted, but it's who we are. It's also quite an economic tool and an economic driver as well because our outdoor uh, outdoor recreation economy is growing big in Montana. And it's, I mean, we're attracting manufacturers for outdoor gear and and equipment. We are, um, you know, a lot of the high-tech firms in, in, that are coming to Montana. I mean, just in your neighborhood of, of Bozeman, uh, you talk to those folks there. One of the reasons they're choosing to come here is because they find it very easy to recruit people because people love the quality of life that they can be offered here. They move to Bozeman. They move to Livingston. They know they have some of the greatest trails that they can be on at 5 o'clock when they're done at work or on the weekend. They can be camping, whatever it is. So our outdoor heritage, our outdoor uh, recreation is, is a big deal. We need to protect that. And we know there are people in the legislature and there are people who for, are outside the state who look at our outdoors and our public lands and say that's not the way it should be. You know, those lands would be far right. better off in private hands. And, you know, let's put taxes on them and let's, you know, but those are locked gates. That's less hunting. That's less fishing. It's less access. You know, we have got to be vigilant and we need to protect what right. we have. And well, so there, there's there's some people like that that have seats on the land board right now. Yeah, well, so, I would think so. I, I agree. <laughs> but, but then, you know, but then you ask about the other parts of the, the environment. We can talk about climate. I mean, you know, I believe... You know, if you were to ask me, you know, do we have an issue with climate change? Science would tell you, yes, we do have an issue and that human beings do affect that. I mean, the science is there. And I know there are people out there who don't want to believe that, but we have to be vigilant about that. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest challenges I think we have ahead of us. And what I mean by that is our young people are going to be saddled with the things that we can't fix. And that's not a good legacy, and we need to start working on it now. You and know, they're getting angry about it. They, they are, and they mm-hmm. right, rightfully so. So, you know, 10 years ago, my wife and I decided just kind of out of the blue, we are going to put solar panels on our roof of our house. We didn't really know a whole lot what we were going to do, and we, you know, we just thought it was the right thing to do. And if everybody would take a small step like that, and, and there's numerous things you can do, but if everybody would do it, we could start making a dent in some of the issues that we're dealing with. So... 
you know, back then we didn't think about it quite as much as we're thinking about it now, but I'm happy that you know, we made that choice. Um, you know, we've, we've got to start looking at things. I mean, we, there's a number of issues. You know, the coal economy in Montana is changing. Yeah, and, and some people want to call it the war on coal. Well, it's really natural gas that has become a much uh, more uh, uh, financially uh, uh, beneficial way of approaching that. And so uh, natural gas is replacing coal in generation and everything else. And so the coal industry is, is starting to, you know, we're seeing some shifts in that direction. We're seeing states who are saying they are not interested in buying electricity that is produced with coal-fired generation. And the market is changing. We've got to change with that as well. I'm not going to say that, you know, coal's going to go away overnight, but it is changing. But we also know that our capacity to produce electri- electricity and, and energy with solar and wind in Montana is phenomenal. And we need to, we need to be a leader, just as we were a leader on, in coal and we are a leader on hydro, we can be a leader on renewables, geothermal, what have you. Um, and, and we need to be doing that. We need to be making this transition now, not burying our head in the sand, hoping that the change, change isn't coming. It's coming. The other thing I really think, and, you know, there, as you said, a lot of young people are just mad about this. We need to bring the young people to the table now and get them engaged in this. And when I'm governor and we're having meetings about uh, what we're going to do on on, uh, climate and and what we're going to do on energy development and what strategies we're going to be taking to make change, young people are going to be sitting at the table because we need to prepare them to take, you know, to take the reins of this because it's not going to happen in the next 20 years. It's going to take time to really make progress, and the young people are going to have to be the ones that, that take charge and take it into the future. Let's get working right. on it now with them. And, and I've made that commitment, and I've told young people, don't think, if, if I'm elected governor, don't think you're going to be sitting on the sideline. You're going to be sitting at the table, and you're going to be helping us make these decisions and, and, and draw the, the, the map of the direction we're going to be taking on this. Right, and, and now I think there's, there's a lot of young people organizing in yeah. Montana yeah. because climate, uh, the climate emergency is their number one issue. Yeah, and I so don't blame them. I yeah. don't blame and them. It, it is probably like a failure you, on our part. You want to come at it from, I would guess, specifics. Yeah. You know, there are points in the legislative process or the points in governorship that mm-hmm. you can take the lead or you can poke something or you can make something happen or you take a position that pushes people mm-hmm. to do things and it's... That seems to be where you want to come come at it from. Well, you know, I just I wish I could say, and I and I can't, but I wish I could say, I've got the the silver bullet to solve this problem. I don't. This it's taken us a long time to get to this position, and it's taken a lot of twists and turns to get us to this position. I suspect it's going to take us a long time to to figure out. How we're gonna how we're gonna really make progress? I'm just saying we got to start now. We got to quit burying our head in the sand. We've got to be able to say I think there's economic reasons to say Montana can. You know we were an energy giant and a producer right. in our history. It's been a big part of our economy. There is no reason we can't continue that only by transitioning to more renewables, which I think makes sense. And again, even doing that is a step in the right direction. It's not the answer to the. It's not all the answer to the to the problem we're trying to solve. That's going to take some time, um, and and uh, it it's going to take a lot of good people sitting at the table, 
uh, putting their heads together to say, these are the steps we need to take. These are the things we need to try. And then when we figure out maybe that wasn't quite right, then we go back to square one and we start over again and we take another approach. I, you know, government isn't perfect. It's not going to, it doesn't solve all the problems in just one bill or one great idea. It usually takes a lot of, a lot of work over a period of time, but you got to start. And now a lot of bills. A lot of bills. A lot of specific programs. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the approach you're looking at is, yeah, I'm definitely aware. I definitely want to do something, but I feel like it has to be specific. And You bet. Yep. 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 Any other issues? that you? I know you've been involved with practically everything. <laughs> I mentioned that before, but any other issues you'd like to highlight? That- well, I mean, there are, there are lots of there are lots of issues, uh, you know, that that affect the people of Montana, and and uh, depending on where you go, I mean, you know, Montanans. Uh, I just came from a, a meeting with the firefighters, the professional firefighters, and and uh, their union was meeting down in Chico, and you know, I, they they have issues as well, and uh, one of them is, you know, we got, we got to look at our pension systems, you know, and we've made a contract with people when it comes to pensions. And they're worried that you know, somebody's going to come into the legislature and they're going to look at people and say, look, at these pensions, we're going to start adjusting these pensions. And, you know, I've, I've read the Constitution, and I know the Constitution really looks at those pensions that we have as being contracts. Now, I, so I feel, you know, anybody tries to take an existing pension and start to cut it back, I think that's unconstitutional. And if any, if I were governor and somebody tried to do that and it got to my desk, I would make quick, you know, I, I would veto that very quickly. But there will be attempts, I think, to look at pensions into right. the future. But again, I think those are benefits that are very important to people. And I think uh, those kind of games uh, are, are, they're not good to play. I think, you know, obviously we have to be responsible with people's money. We need to be, make sure that we're handling it right. But we also have to make sure that we are putting ourselves in a position to be competitive out in the workforce arena. And we cannot be offering our people less pay, less pensions, you know, uh, worse benefits. We're not going to be able to compete with our neighboring states if we do that. We've got to, you know, people in Montana deserve the best and the brightest, whether it's from our teachers, whether it's from our public employees, whether it's from our, you know, our firefighters or whoever. Um, so, I mean, just the actual running of state government is a very important aspect of who, who the next governor is and how you're going to approach that. Um, and I've been on the inside, I've been on the outside, Side, I've been, you know, all places in between. I know how it works. I know how to push government to make it work. I know how to make sure that the people are getting their, you know, they're, they're being brought to the table to get their voices heard so that government is doing the right thing. Um, and that's, that's what excites me about the opportunity of ser- serving as governor. And, uh, you know, and having been lieutenant governor, I've had a chance to kind of sit back and watch it happen from the inside and, uh, you know, Steve Bullock is a, has been a friend of mine for a long time. You know, you may not know this, but I gave him his first job in public, in, in, in state government. He was my chief legal counsel for about a year when I was secretary of state. And he still brought me on as, a, as lieutenant governor. So I, I must not have been a bad boss. Um, but I'm proud to call him my boss because, you know, I've watched him work and watched him bring people together you know, one day during a special session when we were looking at some very serious cuts uh, in the budget and the, the governor had proposed some uh, revenue enhancements, uh, otherwise known as in some, you know, tax increases to try to raise additional revenue so we wouldn't have to make these cuts in social services and, and in corrections. 
and and in healthcare and and uh, education. Those are the those are the three big areas that that take the biggest hits because they're the biggest part of the general fund. But um, I watched. He came in one day and he. I said, "How are you doing?" And he said, "You know," he says, "I didn't sleep at all last night." He says, "You know, if we end up having to make these cuts, this really affects Montanans. This affects people. This affects families. The elderly." And he, it, you could just see the weight that was on his shoulder. And so, I mean, being governor is not the easiest thing in the world. You have a lot of responsibility, and you can't control everything because we have our three branches that we all have to respect. And uh, so, I mean, I approach this very thoughtfully, very carefully. Um, I know, I'm, you know, there will be days that I probably go, oh, my goodness, why did I do this? But on the other hand, I can tell you all my experience in all of my jobs, since I've been first in the legislature to where I am now, I've gotten up every day saying, gosh, I've been given a blessing to be able to come to work and do what I'm doing each and every day. And when you get that one Montanan that walks up to you sometime and just says, hey, I just want to say thanks. You did this, and it affected me this way, and I just wanted to say thanks. So if I ask you the question, is there something or a thing that really makes you proud of sure. all of the 40-plus yeah. years that you've been in public yeah. service. Yeah, You know, I, I will give you two examples. And I've thought about because I get asked this question. Number one, I, I, I will just tell you, I, when I was Secretary of State, I helped spearhead the Capitol restoration. And I don't know if you've been to the Capitol, but, I mean, it was a mess. It was falling apart. It took us many years, but working with a lot of people, and a lot of people get credit for it, we got the Capitol restoration done. And I just look at that and— I'm so proud of what we did, and it is really, truly the people's house, and I just, I just love that. So that is a big one, but I think at the time, I was walking through the Capitol one day, and this woman came up and just threw her arms around me, and I was like, well, and she said, I just want to thank you, and this was when I was working at the Department of Labor. She said, I want to thank you. She says, my daughter uh, went, went off and got training to be a cosmetologist. She has to be licensed by the state. She said she got kind of gummed up in her licensure, and it looked like she if she wasn't going to get through and it was going to postpone her getting into business. She's a single mom. Um, she needed the job. And I made a call to you. And I, I mean, I got a lot of phone calls. She says, I made a call to you, and the next thing I know, my daughter was sit sitting for her test, and she passed it. She is now practicing. She's making money. She is providing for her family. Thank you for what you did. I mean... I honestly didn't remember even doing that, but she knew I did it. And I just thought, that's a way government can run. And it was a small thing, but it wasn't small to them. But it was, you know, it didn't register on my screen, but it made me so proud that somebody could call me up and tell me the story and I could make a phone call or do whatever and I could just make that happen. And there was no, you know, I didn't treat her differently. It just that it was an unfortunate situation. We figured out how we could make it work. And she was able to get her job and start paying the bills. What more, and, and providing for her family. What more do we want for our people? And it people? answers that perennial question that every politician gets. What have you done for me lately? Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but again, it's, it's far more than just what you're doing. I mean, it's just, again, every day... Um, you can have a positive impact on people's lives. You can't do everything for everybody, so you can't make everybody happy. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, those little stories really have driven me to want to remain active and be involved. And uh, I just, I hope that, uh, you know, as future generations, you know, come into 
politics and come into government, that they keep that in mind, that it's not about who you are. It's not about the title you get. I've had a lot of titles. I don't care about that. I honestly don't. Um, when people insist on calling me Lieutenant Governor, I just say, hey, my wife or my, my, my mom and dad gave me the name Mike. It works just fine. You're not <laughs> going to insult me. Um, but uh, uh, it's not about that. It's about what you can do and what you can accomplish. And at the end of the day, you hope you leave Montana a little bit better than what was given to you. One last area, which is not as optimistic or as positive, at least not right now. Um, every governor, even though it's Montana, it's a smaller state, in quotes and so forth, has to deal with national issues. Sure. They blow your way whether you want them to or not. Uh, right now we have a very strong period of government is bad and therefore we shouldn't use government to do anything. And it's obviously you don't believe that mm -hmm. personally and Democrats in general don't believe that. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we have one question that we ask everybody because it's, <laughs> it's a current, current issue. Um, and I have to go and Dixie yells at me because I can't remember this one. But uh, it, it Basically, we have one statement I here. don't yell at him. <laughs> yes, you do. <clears throat> I hit him. Uh, but it is germane to what's happening right now in the Senate, sure. which is, do you believe it's appropriate for the President of the United States to ask a foreign leader to investigate a political rival? Yes or no? No, I don't. It's not, it's not appropriate. It wouldn't be appropriate at any level. I just, uh, you know, I think. So you couldn't go ask Trudeau to, camp, you know, give you money for your campaign. No, I couldn't. I mean, there are, I mean, I tell you what, as, as governor, I mean, there are a lot of things. You make an interesting point. With all the problems in Washington, D.C., there's not a lot getting done in so many ways back there. And so the states have had to pick up the, the right. slack. I mean, everything from trade. I mean, since I've been lieutenant governor, I have been on trade missions down to Mexico, talking about how we're going to market our barley down there. I've been up to Canada talking about our wheat uh, going up to Canada and our softwood uh, lumber issue. Um, and as Washington has been paralyzed up until just recently when they passed USMCA, but when they did away with NAFTA and all of these other things, a lot of our trade just stopped. And one of the things we decided to do was to continue to have conversations with our biggest trading partners. So we would stay in contact with them. We would continue to develop those relationships because Washington wasn't doing it. Now, we can't go out as a state and make our own trade policies with these foreign countries, but we made darn sure that our foreign uh, partners and our trading partners understood where we were and what we hoped to do so that when they do pass and, and uh, uh, bring, bring these new trade agreements uh, together, that we didn't have to go back and start at square one, that we could go right back to the same partners that we'd been working with because they knew how interested we were in making sure that we were able to market our products and that our farmers were able to market their products. And uh, it, it was, it's been a very tough time you know, states have to sometimes fill the gap, even when it's a little bit out of their wheelhouse. They've got to be prepared to step in. So I, I did not have the opportunity to, to talk to Trudeau, but I did have the opportunity to go up and talk to people in Alberta uh, and other folks in Canada. Um, it was back in Washington and had a chance to visit with the ambassador. Uh, well, it was actually the deputy and whatever the title of the, the second in command at the Canadian embassy. And I was down in Mexico talking to all our trading partners down there. They buy a lot of barley from us because they like the, they do beer. 
and they like our barley. So uh, we wanted to make sure they understood that even though trade was difficult and it was making it difficult on them, and they were out looking for new markets, we wanted them to know that when this thing is resolved, we're going to be ready to get things up and going, and we love your business. So that, that just kind of gives you an idea of mm -hmm. where the state have to become creative and start working on issues that the federal government, re, you know, ultimately dropped the ball on. And we've seen more and more of that in policy Absolutely. as well as in well, Paris Accord and everything yeah. else. States mm -hmm. have come together and right. they've agreed that they will meet the Paris Accord uh, uh, guidelines. And uh, on the federal level, the Trump administration has said we're we're, we're pulling out. We're not going to do that. So I think you're you're going to see the states become more empowered on issues like that. And I think, again, that's a, that's a good role that the governor can play in partnering with other states in the country to figure out how you can you know, put yourself in a more powerful position to help effectuate those, those particular policy decisions. And I think maybe our voters are aware that Montana has a long history of doing that, Yeah, sometimes by itself. Absolutely. Mm. Social Security, I mean, we can go down the mm. list. Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, I thank you very much for taking the time. I know your schedule's very busy, but... Everybody's schedule is busy now. Absolutely. But, I'm sitting um, here in a room full of busy people here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been delightful. Great. Um, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity, and perhaps we can revisit again. Good. Right. We hope so. Um, as we get closer to the actual elections, you know, the perspectives change. So. You bet. Mm -hmm. You bet. Well, thank you so much. I truly appreciate the opportunity, and thanks for having me in Livingston, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We just finished up the interview with Mike Cooney, who is the sitting lieutenant governor of the state of Montana, and he's running for the governor's office. Uh, I think you can tell right away that he's been a politician for a long time, 40-plus years, and uh, in public service, not just politics, of course. Right, and, and a variety of positions, both, you know, in in different agencies, but, you know, and in leadership position in the legislative and administrative. So it's it's quite Quite a broad spectrum of experience. Yeah, I think he's one of the more experienced people we've interviewed. And this seems to be kind of a thread that they've had a lot of experience. And they, they appeal at a certain level to Montanans, which I think he brought up himself. You know, um, There's a certain trust level. There's a certain attention to issues that people really want to hear about. Um, and it's they play to the fact that not all Montanans want to be Democrats or Republicans. They just want things to get fixed and get better. Right, right. Well, I, yeah, I think one thing, um, Montanans tend to, be, tend, tend to be fair. And they appreciate politicians and leaders that also are fair and have a consistent record of being fair, playing fair. So anyway, I hope these kinds of interviews are helpful. We're, we are coming up in a couple, three months to the primaries here in Montana, and our goal is to introduce all of these candidates, as many as we can, so that you have an, an, not only a background, but a certain interest in some of these candidates and the positions they are running for. And um, we thank Mike Cooney for his time. Uh, we are going to be wrapping up here at Soundcolor Studios in Livingston, Dixie I, and I, and uh, we thank you all for listening. Right. Thank you. And another thing, if you need any information about the 2020 election, be sure to visit our website at podcastrunsthroughit.com. And we have a whole section on the website now that talks about the different offices in the state, who's running, um, important dates. So 
it can be sort of your uh, your information center for all things 2020 Montana elections. Right. Thank you. 